0: Hello and welcome to The Crux, the weekly women's agenda podcast. In today's episode, we're taking a look at where men undercut the success of women, such as what happened when Spain's Football Federation president decided to steal a player's World Cup winning moment by planting an unwanted kiss on her lips. And sticking with the World Cup, two male Australian athletes have their noses out of joint about the Matildas. Also today, we look at the confronting new figures released on domestic and family violence, and we dig into the role of young voters in the Indigenous voice to parliament. We're recording this episode of The Crux on the 25th of August, 2023. My name is Tala Lambert. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Women's Agenda, and I'm joining you from Bunjalung country today with my legendary colleague and Women's Agenda's news editor, Madeline Hislop. Hello.
1: Hello. Thanks for having me on.
0: It's so nice to have you on. It's been too long. It has. We've got to make this more regular. Okay, Mad, so let's get into it because there's a fair bit to unpack today, but let's kick off with our wins this week. What is yours?
1: So I'd love to talk about the AFLW and the announcement this week that there will be an increase in prize money for next season, which is actually due to start pretty soon. So the figures are looking pretty good. This year we'll see $1.1 million up for grabs for the women's comp, which is a big increase from about $600,000 the season before. This compares to the men's team, who will also get $1.1 million, but... There's still a bit of inequality here because this $1.1 million will be split between the top eight teams in the AFLW, whereas in the men's competition, it will be split between the top four teams. Mm. So, although you're saying there's equal prize money here, if you're actually looking into the details, there is still that inequality there. So,
0: some yeah. PR trickery, you're telling me.
1: Yes, I think a little bit, although we should recognise that it's really important to see a boost in general anyway, and it is great to see them really focusing on this.
0: Yeah, look, I think it has to be noted that the AFLW has done some really impressive things uh, in recent times, and they have been one of the more progressive codes, I feel, in terms of their commitment to diversity inclusion and building greater kind of equality within the code. And I think that this is a really positive step forward. Although, yeah, I think that it's also worth noting that there is still that discrepancy there. And so there are things that need to be worked on, but a lot of other codes probably need to take a bit of a a lead as well on this, and um, maybe take some advice or, or a leaf out of the AFLW's book, because we know that there have been, and this is kind of going to my win, although it's a bit of a roundabout win, I have to say, because it's more about the courage of the Australian Wallaroos, which are the the female rugby Australian team, but they had to call out this week the lack of investment and respect shown to the women's game and particularly what they've been up against and the double standards that they've been up against as a result. So at the same time that the AFLW and other codes are looking into how they're going to to be bridging gaps, there are still, you know, such huge gaps existing in, in other areas of women's sport and The Wallaroos players collectively called out the governing body in a statement posted to their social media accounts. So all of the players posted it to their social media accounts, which is pretty huge. And they timed it just before the FIFA Women's World Cup final. And their statement basically drew numerous comparisons between how the men's and women's national teams are treated and the blatant inequality experienced by the women's team including disparities in resources, funding and conditions. And, you know, they also noted how, you know, just recently the Wallabies players of the men's team were flown to Sydney via business and they, they have repeatedly been told that <laughs> business is too costly for the Wallaroos. So it was a really powerful statement. I'd I'd encourage anyone to go and look at it. And I think it was really ballsy of them as well, or I should say boobsy (laughs) in the context of our new podcast. But I think, yeah, it does just go to show that there's so much room to grow and to get better because at the same time that we're making significant strides in women's sport, there are notable gaps. Mad, Mm -hmm. what do you reckon as a lover of... All things sport.
1: I do feel like one of the key things with the rugby union is that the Wallaroos, none of them are on full-time contracts. So compared to other women's sport, they are a bit behind the eight ball on that. So it means all of them would be working potentially full-time jobs on top of playing Mm. and training. And I do think that step to full-time is really, really important Mm. and at the moment some of them are on part-time contracts and Mm. that's there's talk from rugby Australia that by 2025 they will work towards full-time contracts but I think at the moment that might be a little bit of lip service because I don't think there's plans in place really to actually get there by 2025.
0: Mm. And like it just makes it so impossible for that team to actually take it as you know to to treat it as it's their career, mm-hmm. if they're having to work other jobs to make ends meet, you know. You know that you can't commit fully to, to something. Um, mm-hmm. Even though we know the immense talent that is in that team, it's impossible to, to be able to, you know, leverage that to your full capacity if you're not being, mm. you know, paid um, accordingly to do so.
1: Yeah, and it's not just the players. Their coach uh, is a full-time teacher, and he does the coaching on top of his full-time teaching job. So you can imagine trying to juggle that load Mm. as well as everything else that goes on in life. I do think it's thinking about the players but also about coaching stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, so let's go on to our first story this week, and it looks at an issue that I bet everyone listening to this episode can relate to in some way, and it's the issue of when men undercut and overshadow the success of women, to get their own moment of glory. Or in this case, a moment of pure cringe. Because the last thing that Spain's midfielder Jenny Hermoso should have had to do after her team's historic World Cup win was answer a question about how she felt about being kissed on the lips by Spain's Football Federation president, Luis Rubiales. But that's what happened. In the hours following Spain's victory, thanks to Rubiales, who used Hermoso's moment on the podium... To plant a kiss on her lips, her thunder was well and truly stolen. Not to mention the fact that, you know, it was clearly sexual assault. (laughs) And like, you know, I think we, we can't gloss over that either. But Hermoso said on social media following the incident that she did not enjoy that. Surprise, surprise. You can see in the footage that she is visibly uncomfortable with his action. She did later describe the kiss as a natural gesture of affection, but I think that that's also quite a common occurrence for women to have to kind of backtrack and, and almost defend the action and the inappropriate behaviours of men after after things like this because they feel uncomfortable themselves and, and maybe she was fearing the repercussions of you know, actually noting the fact that she was uncomfortable and that that was misconduct. But, you know, she also made the point, we have won a World Cup and we are not going to deviate from what is important. But unfortunately, they did have to kind of deviate from what was important because of what Rubiales did. Responding to the intense criticism of the kiss, Rubiales called those upset or concerned about it idiots. (laughs) And later he apologised and conceded that the kiss has somewhat tarnished the celebrations. Mm -hmm. Australian former soccer roo, commentator, and activist Craig Foster urged FIFA and the Spanish Football Association to stand Rubiales down. He described the kiss as horrific. And word this morning is that Rubiales has, in fact, resigned. Mads, what did you make of this?
1: I just think, you know, this would have been potentially the best moment of Hiboso's career. She'd just won the World Cup. Like, it would have been the best feeling. She was walking up on stage to be congratulated on that massive, massive achievement. And then just in a second it's taken away from her and overshadowed by this horrific incident. And I think what is really telling is that he doubled down on it pretty much straight away and said anyone calling him out over that was an idiot. And I just think, you know, the it, fact was of- it, was it was
0: about was. him. It was about him. It was all about
1: him. And it was not about her at all. And I just feel really sad for her that this happened to her on such a an amazing day.
0: Yeah, for sure. But like how much does it resonate? You know, like it's just it I mean, obviously not to the extent that, you know, our fund has been stolen in in winning a World Cup, but like definitely you know those kind of men that are always going to try to make everything about them them, and get their own kind of moment in the sun over something that was just totally nothing about him, you know, like he was just there to congratulate her and and it should have been all about that team and instead, you know, we've spent the last few days talking about this and, yeah, you can say, you know, as a media company, we're giving platform to what happened and we're keeping it in the news cycle. But the thing is that it's just, it was so bad and gross and the misconduct was so clear that you you actually do have to report it. There's a duty of care to kind of report these things and to kind of keep them front and centre so that these kind of behaviours don't just keep happening, that men don't think that this is okay because it, like this isn't an isolated incident either. We see things like this all the time, even going back to, you know, a BBC presenter Chris Hughes calling Australian cricketer Maitland Brown a little Barbie on the sideline interviews during the women's cricket tournament, the hundred. You know, these moments are always happening, and they're always about kind of sidelining women and women's achievements and giving men a platform. And I, I think it's, I think it's I don't think that there's anything else really to say about it except that it's gross and I'm glad that he stepped down and he probably should have stepped down a few days ago but at least it's happened. So yes. All right Mads, on to our next story which also relates to men behaving like complete idiots and two very high profile Australian male athletes have opposed the decision to build statues of the nation's beloved Matildas. The men in question are former Australian basketballer Andrew Bogut and tennis player Nick Kyrios ah, oh, Nick Kyrios is feeling a bit sad because no one's been paying any attention to him for a while. But they both called the Queensland government's decision to re- erect a bronze statue of the Matildas at Suncorp Stadium nuts and said people should move on. <laughs> oh, this is a really funny story. <laughs> After the Matildas finished fourth in the 2023 FIFA Women's World Cup, Queensland Premier Anastasia Palaszczuk revealed plans to build a statue as a lasting tribute to the women's team. Seems pretty reasonable, I would say. Um, okay. <laughs> and the statue will be based on the iconic image of the Australian national team celebrating Courtney Vine's penalty goal that won them the ticket to the semi-final of the tournament. Palaszczuk said the statue would honour the Matildas' efforts in sparking change for women's sport in Australia and across the world, and there are currently six bronze statues at Suncourt Stadium, immortalising sporting legends like Wally Lewis, Darren Lockyer and Mal Meninga. No female athletes have a statue at Queensland Stadium. So, again, probably high time that this happened. So, Mads, what did you make of this little tantrum from Bogart and Kyrios?
1: I do think you were spot on when you said perhaps Kyrgios has been missing the limelight a little bit. <laughs> I do feel like he does do that every now and then. He just tries to get into the spotlight again. It's sort of just his style. But I do think it's just such a shame that both of these these sports people would want to make this an issue. Like, can't you just say okay, and move on, even if you didn't think it was a good idea? Like why do you have to come out and say that it's nuts and that people should move on? Like it's just something that they could probably let lie (laughs) even if they didn't agree with it.
0: It does like just reek of like two blokes being totally salty (laughs) about the fact that they're not that good. Like, Like that's pretty much what I make from it is just like we haven't done enough to get the acclaim that we want, and now we're going to chuck a massive tantrum about it. It's, um, yeah, look, I mean, it's unsurprising, which is sad, but um, yeah. the fact that Nick Kyrios is heavily implicated in this is very unsurprising because when does he not like to just rear his head over something irritating? But, yeah, like I completely agree with you. It just seems such a bizarre thing to get, entangled in like why would you why would you care how is it affecting you in any real way at all mm. is it affecting your career is it affecting your prospects is it a- affecting anything like no all it's doing is <laughs> celebrating someone else's achievements which is really what seems to be unhinging you um, yeah
1: definitely and i do think like there are already several statues of Male sports people
0: at this stadium,
1: right? And there's no women. And if you look across Australia, there really aren't many statues of women, especially female athletes. And we have been seeing that movement in Victoria to try and boost the number of statues of women, which I think is really, really great. And I think it was awesome that Palaszczuk decided to do this and wanted to create that lasting tribute to the women's team because I feel like this was such a massive moment and to immortalize it in that way is actually so lovely.
0: Totally. But also, how could you even try to like claim that it wasn't warranted? Mm. You know, if you've got Wally Lewis and you've got Mal Meninga, why is it not valid for the Matildas to be there too? Like, it's not as though this is like a tokenistic thing that they played one game and people liked it and then they're there. Like, they really have shifted a tide and they've done something for sport that I don't think I can remember any other athlete doing in my lifetime. So yeah, it's, it, it's just such a, it's bothersome (laughs) that there are still like dudes like this that just cannot get on board and just, it must just suck to wake up feeling like you just have to be a neg about everything. Like, why have you got to be so negative about everything must really suck to Um, have that mentality.
1: I think they're seeing the shift happening and it's kind of freaking them out a bit potentially like this shift to like recognizing women in this way, which really we've never done before in sport. And, you know, maybe it's a little bit of like feeling like something's being taken away from them in a way.
0: Yeah. And I mean, look, I think what the Matildas represent is pretty much the antithesis of what Nick Kyrgios represents, like in, in truth, because, He has built his entire brand off being a maverick and being volatile and antagonistic and single-minded and, you know, all of these things, that's his entire brand now. And a spoiled brat, like that's what he has done. He's built a brand off not being a good sports person. So I think the fact that we are really gravitating to women Particularly, but but you know teams that that are showing that kind of sports womanship and and showing that camaraderie and that unity and that that spirit that he really kind of fights against that must be jarring too. Okay, look, we've done a lot on sport today, and we do need to go on to our last story, and it is one that is quite devastating. So fresh figures this week have revealed the extent of sexual harassment, sexual violence and physical violence in Australia, and they should really be a wake-up call to policymakers, employers, law enforcement officers and anyone with even a hint of responsibility for calling it out and addressing the problem. The most stark finding is how much more likely women are than men to experience physical and sexual violence in the home, which I think we all know in the back of our heads, but I think these figures are just so staggering and the extent to which this is happening is, is just so confronting. So one in three people, 36%, have experienced physical violence since the age of 15, which amounts to around 7 million Australians, according to the ABS, 4 million men and 3 million women. And the figures reveal that both women and men are three times more likely to experience physical violence by a male perpetrator than a female perpetrator. Um, Some other findings, though, again, really point to that issue of this being a threat to women in their homes um, particularly. So for women, 53% of perpetrators are intimate partners while 69% of assaults occur in a home. One in five women have also experienced sexual violence since the age of 15. And for men, the perpetrator was more often a stranger, so 57% with the vast majority of assaults occurring outside of the home. It does just seem like this issue is never-ending. Like, it just it feels like we've been reporting on domestic and family violence and sexual assault for the last 10 years and I just I just feel so gutted that none of these figures really seem to change. I know there's work being done but I think stats like this just highlight the fact that there is so much work that we need to do and so much more funding and so much more education that needs to go into this. Mads what what do you what do you take from this?
1: Yeah, that figure of seventy percent of assaults against women occurring in their home is so staggering. And I when I say the word staggering, it when you read it, it initially is staggering. But then when you think about it, it's what we actually do know, and it shouldn't actually be staggering because this is what we report on all the time that these numbers are this high. And it's also just that constant stat of one in five women have experienced sexual violence since the age of 15. That hasn't shifted Mm. ever, really. And it's such an alarming stat. And yeah, it is just so sad. And one thing I was thinking about when I was reading these stats was a couple of years ago, some figures came out from Rose, and it said that about... 40 to 50%, I can't remember the exact figure, but a pretty high number of people didn't believe that violence against women or domestic violence was happening in their own community. Mm. They thought that that's something that happens elsewhere. And really these new stats today really just put that into perspective and the, th- the fact that people don't think it's happening in their community but then really it's happening to women all the time
0: in that, Yeah, home. and everywhere. And it doesn't discriminate. It doesn't discriminate against postcodes or socioeconomic background or anything, you know. And I think that's, again, a common misconception that we we have, that it's happening in these pockets of society that, you know, they're the, the dark pockets of society. They're the bad pockets of society. It's like it's, it's ubiquitous. It's happening everywhere. Like we would all know someone that has faced this and maybe they don't feel comfortable actually reporting what's going on because we know that that's that's a huge issue as well. A lot of these huge number of assaults go unreported. In fact, these stats said that just 57% of women sought advice or support following the incident with most going to a friend or family member instead. So what does that what does that tell us as well? Like you know, just tells us that our systems are broken. You know, women are not feeling like they can actually come forward and report these things, and and why would they feel that when we know that there is such a high level of victim blaming and and just a lack of response um, mm. and and the right response from from police?
1: Yeah, I do feel like we've had some pretty high profile cases in the media where we've seen such horrific victim blaming. And I do think that that has a massive impact on women every day who are experiencing violence and abuse. And I do think that it must make women feel like they just cannot go through those proper channels because they've seen what ha- what has happened to high-profile people that are being reported on in the media. And, yeah. I, yeah, I think that is really, really sad.
0: Yeah, if anything, it's possibly made things worse, which is <clears throat> horrible because... You know, we know those women that have come forward, those women that do have those high profiles have done a huge service to other victims in having the courage to do that and and to show that, you Mm. know, it it can be done. But the way that those cases have have been treated would put anyone off, you know, certainly would put me off. So while these stats are just horrific, they again, are not surprising. It's not surprising that women aren't coming forward. It's not surprising that these threats are in the home and they're not being taken seriously. Mm -hmm. We need to do a lot better, and I think we need to do a lot better very quickly like yesterday. Um, All right, Mads, I think that's us for the week. We'll probably wrap up there. Any final thoughts for the week ahead? Anything in your brain? Hopefully there's lots in your brain. (laughs) (laughs) Um, one thing I did
1: just want to note on the end of that story is that um, the government did announce that new target of trying to reduce the number of women killed by an intimate partner by 25% which I thought was quite a big target we've never really seen anything like that before but I do think there was just a slight problem in the framing of that because it was about reducing the number of women being killed but I think we need to talk about it as reducing the number of men killing their partners I do think we need to just see that shift in language even though the target is really good I still think that language is probably not quite right
0: no that's a really good point yeah. Yeah. And I think so much of the language we use still around domestic and family violence and the way that we're reporting it is not the right way. Mm-hmm. Um, we definitely need to be calling men out more than we are. Even the way that we frame it, you know, you still rarely will see it branded as murder. Mm-hmm. You'll You'll see it as, you know, women killed or softer language. You know, I think we need to be a bit more emphatic about how we actually cover that One thought for me for the end of the week um, is that nominations are still open for the Women's Agenda Leadership Awards, which is exciting. We have extended the nominations period. So they were closing on the 23rd of August, but they've been extended to the 30th of August. It's an amazing opportunity to platform and profile the incredible women that you know in your life that are making huge inroads in their industry and Doing a lot to kind of transform that and be inclusive and be empathetic leaders. It's a free program. So, you know, and that's supported by the sponsors that come on board of that awards. And we would just encourage anyone to get onto that. Go and nominate, go and apply yourself. There's every likelihood that you are far more deserving than you probably think you are. So just get into it. Um, it doesn't take long. And tickets are still available to the awards as well which will kick off on October 13. We're actually running it in Melbourne this year. We have Professor Megan Davis giving a keynote which is very exciting because I believe that the referendum will actually fall on the 14th of October. It is meant to be announced in full by next week um, but the awards is on the Octo- on October 13 so that will be the day before Um, So I'm sure she'll have some brilliant things to say. And we also have Jack River very excitingly playing at the event as well. So go on to www.women'sagendaleadershipawards and you can nominate and also buy tickets there. Mads, thank you very much for joining me this week. And just a reminder to everyone listening that you can access every story that we've spoken about today on womensagenda.com.au. And we will see you next week. Thank you.